We're now reading the Bible. Today's passage is 1 Corinthians 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or another, you were influenced and led by astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be crucified. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, uh, and in everyone, is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miracles, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the works of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts from one body form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were given one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of many parts, of one part but many. Now, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if an ear says, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with a special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lack it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should be equally concerned for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you part of it. And God has placed in the church first the apostles, second the prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kind of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly I desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. 
Thanks very much, and uh, morning everyone. Good to see you again. Let's pray, shall we? In the uh, letter to James, <clears throat> the James uh, says these words to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we come again to your word today, Lord, and seek your face. We seek wisdom to know how to live well in your world, even as we face struggles and temptations of many kinds. Help us to be one body. Help us to honor and to serve and to delight in one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have a handout, we are in session three, and you may find that helpful um, as we go along. Um, Jose Mourinho, a.k.a. the special one, not quite as special as he used to be in certain respects, but as a football manager, he had this to say. He said, I think one of the great qualities in a team is that we hide our weaknesses. Every team has weaknesses. Every manager has. Every player has. And we have to try to hide. I know my weaknesses. Not much. Not many. Such a... <laughs> Sorry, I'm still quoting Jose Mourinho, by the way. Um, and I try to improve and hide them. So there's his philosophy for leading a team. Okay, guys, let's hide our weaknesses. And in a sporting world, that might make some sense to you. But what about in a church life and community? I guess uh, Jose Mourinho's advice is that hiding weakness might be the better part of our strategy. Well, we've already seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 that Paul wants to subvert that understanding that that is how we are to live as God's people. And he says this in that verse 10, that great climactic verse that we looked at yesterday morning, I will boast, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses because he goes on to say they bring most glory to God. So over this weekend, we're trying to sort of nudge that dial a little bit, aren't we? That we might think and believe and practice, as we've just prayed, that it might be more natural and acceptable to find the right context and opportunity to share a little bit more of our weaknesses with one another um, and to point each other, as we do, to Christ, where we find the strength to endure. Because I think here's the subtle irony that perhaps we've missed. If, as a church, we hide our weaknesses, it actually makes us weaker as a result. Let me show you what I mean. Three, three quick ways I think that works. They're not in the notes as sort of headers, so you may need to write these down if you are of interest. Quickly, I'm going to tell you these three things. Number one, when we hide our weaknesses, we obscure the gospel. We obscure things. Christianity, as we said yesterday morning, after all, is a declaration of weakness and power discovered in our weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So if we are willing Sunday by Sunday to declare that this is a place to come if you feel weak, if you are a broken person in one sense or another, then we point 
one another and those who enter into our church to Jesus, in whom is our strength. So when we hide our weakness, we obscure the gospel. So a key question for you and me to reflect on as we go away from this weekend is this. Do you think your weaknesses hinder the gospel or advance it? Do you think that your weaknesses hinder the gospel or advance it? And I know what you think naturally, but how about after reading what we've read over this weekend? Hiding our weaknesses also, secondly, discourages Christians. So it weakens the church because it just subtly reinforces the idea that everyone here is sorted but me because I only know my weaknesses because no one else is sharing theirs. I've ridden a moped around Birmingham for the past uh, 10 years or so. Uh, my wife suggested that I have some lessons before I start riding the moped. I said, no, I think I'll be fine. And within three days, I'd come off the bike and had 16 stitches in my knee. And I was preaching that Sunday. So we said, okay, well, let's have a little stool and I can lean against the stool. So up I came up to the front on my crutches, leant on this stool, and preached. And one member of the church came up to me afterwards and said, Pastor, I don't think we should see you like this. And the culture that she came from was one in which displays of weakness were really sort of frowned upon. I don't think we should see you like this. So the second question is, do you think that your struggles help other Christians in their walk? That's the second point. It discourages Christians when we hide them, but do you think that your struggles can help other Christians in their walk? And then the third thing that we, uh, we discover if we hide our weaknesses is that we deny ourselves the very opportunity of real spiritual growth. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me, is what Paul says. So when we come face to face with our realities, that there are things in life that are difficult for us, we can either suppress them and bury them and hide them and pretend they're not there, or we can bring them to the throne of grace. So when we hide away, we deny ourselves the opportunity to grow. Because Paul says, when I boast of my weaknesses, then Christ's power rests on me. In other words, it's at that moment when I draw near to God and bring them to him. Because as we heard from Abraham Lincoln yesterday, I've got nowhere else to go. That we find him in our time of need. And so many Christians can tell that story. So key question, do you believe that God might be most at work in your weaknesses? that that's actually a focus of where your growth is going to come from? Do you think that God is most at work in your weaknesses as you hold them to him and seek him? Now to our theme, so those are three sort of big ideas. Look, we obscure the gospel, we discourage other Christians, and we fail to grow ourselves when we, when we can't or are unable to bring our weaknesses in the right context and, of course, in the right setting before one another in the life of the church. So I want this morning to focus on this theme of weakness, and as you've already heard, we're looking at the challenge of comparing ourselves to others. And I want to start with a story that's a journalist's dream. 
It comes from a school in Essex who decided to ban their parents from attending school sports day. It's a journalist dream, isn't it? The headline in the paper ran, no parents at school sports day, you stress out the pupils. A letter sent by the head to parents said, for lots of children, sports day is a very stressful occasion. This is invariably linked to being watched by a large crowd, mostly made up of competitive dads. Um, all decisions are primarily taken with the interests of the children at heart. Maybe you're already having flashbacks to your school sports days. I, I love not having to do any real work. That was the plus for me. We could get out of maths and English comprehension and everything else. For a day, we were outside. And I also hoped that maybe I could win something. The problem was I wasn't particularly good. I couldn't run very far or very fast. I couldn't throw anything a long way, and my egg would, keep, would not stop falling off the spoon. But for a day in school, life was really obviously a competition. School sports day. And life gets complicated when we see it and perceive it as a competition. And many of the weaknesses that we feel come from comparing ourselves to others. It's sort of what we might call the weakness of inadequacy, of inferiority, that compared to others, maybe even in the life of the church, we don't feel we've that much to offer. Prince al-Walid bin Talal likes comparing himself to others. He's a Saudi Arabian prince. He's an incredibly wealthy man. He owns lots of England, as far as I can tell. But he got pretty cross with Forbes Business Magazine and his grievance with this. Of the 7 billion people on the planet, Forbes claimed that there were 25 people richer than him. 25 out of 7 billion were richer than him. And he was pretty upset because he was sure he was richer than some of them. So he sued the magazine. <laughs> it wasn't enough for him to be number 25 in the world. He had to be better than that. Psychologist Oliver James, in his book Affluenza, writes, constantly comparing your lot with others leads to insecurity. You have na a nameless sense that there is always something you should be doing. A free-floating anxiety, you'll obsessively be running yourself down because you do not do as well as others, moving the goalposts in order to succeed. You may deal with that sense of inadequacy by falsely building yourself up and by desperately attention-seeking. Your values promote selfishness and keeps you from meeting your need to connect with family and friends and the wider community. Madonna put it in these quite simple terms. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, she says, and I guess it never will. And then we bring that mindset into the church, a spirit of competition. And it becomes so easy to look around on a weekend away and think, well, I'm not as good looking as that person. I don't dress as well as that person. I'm not as godly gifted, funny, confident as that person, and you fear being just overlooked, uh, an irrelevance. Well, our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if ever there was a passage written to help us deal with a culture of competition, then surely 
um, this has to be it. So point A on your handout, God's design, unity in diversity. Would you turn back to 1 Corinthians 12 if you have it? Now, we know, as Christians, we know that we share without distinction in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is Savior and Lord of one and all. We're all walking that red carpet because of his work. And we take no credit. We make no boast. It's Christ and him crucified that brings us to God. So every Christian shares that same identity, child of God, through Jesus Christ. An identity that's got nothing to do with our performance and popularity, but only because of what God has done. That's the thrust of verse 3 of chapter 12. That, um, Sorry, I'm in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And then look at verses 4 to 7. The result is an incredible unity. But the unity that we enjoy also includes a diversity. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Do you see that three times? Different, same, different, same, different, same. It's really impossible to miss Paul's point, isn't it? Is that unity in the, ch- unity in the church Sorry, comes through diversity, not uniformity. So difference is a value to God. He's going to talk about the body in a moment and talk about all the different parts of the body. And that's unmissable, isn't it, in a sense of how difference is really necessary. I don't know whether you ever played a musical instrument. My eldest son plays timpani. They're like the big kettle drums at the, at the back of the orchestra. Um, he's playing a piece and he said to me, I have to count 137 bars of rest. <laughs> It's, his, it's perfect instrument for my 16-year-old. 137 bars of rest. But then his moment comes and he has to bang the drum. <laughs> but, you know, it takes 40 instruments, maybe more, I've never counted. It takes a whole lot of instruments that are different from one another to play together to make the beautiful sound of an orchestra. And it's true of a sports team, and it's true of a church. The God who loves you and the God who loves me has given us different roles. This focus in chapter 12 is primarily about spiritual gifts, but the principle stands for every part of you in the way that God has made you and put you in the household of God. The God is a God who loves us, and because he loves us, because he loves us, he's made us different. Includes personalities, characters, abilities, and gifting. And Paul says it time and again in our passage. Verse 11, he gives gifts to each one. Verse 18, he arranged them just as he wanted them. Verse 24, God has combined the members of the body. And verse 28, God appointed the gifts. It's a bit trite, but it works as an illustration. When we freeze water, we make ice cubes. 
everyone the same. When God freezes water, he makes snowflakes. Everyone different. Trite, but you get the point. And as one author has put it, we differ from one another because God wants those differences molded into a special unity, which is demonstrably of his own doing. Well, is this how we think of ourselves and of the church? Well, in our moments of weakness, no. We just constantly look and compare and wish we were someone else, wish God had made us differently, think we've got nothing to offer. And the Corinthians were just the same, divided by their desire to all be the same and to seek the same things and not accept what God had given them. So I guess there are, there are two temptations. I won't say two types of people because I think we oscillate between the two temptations. That is the reality for most of us in the Christian life. And the first one is at times when we're just feeling a bit rubbish as a Christian, there are times when we think, I don't belong. There's just a sense in which I don't belong. And accepting the way God has made me is a lifetime's work. If the gifts we are have been given from God, then we should use them. If the gifts we have and the personality and the aptitudes have been given to us by God, we should be thankful. We should trust that God knows what he's doing, doing in making us the way he's made us. And he intends for us to be useful in his service and for the building up of our church. And, you know, sometimes it's the people who think they have least to offer that have made the greatest impact on me in church life. I can think of just two women right now who both suffer from anxiety. One of them, the extent of her anxiety is that she will ring my wife just to check that Jane will be at church and to check that she can sit next to Jane for the service. And if she doesn't have that assurance, she struggles to come to church. And she'll stay at church if Jane stays with her through to tea and coffee. If Jane says, oh, look, I'm really sorry, we've got to rush off, or I've promised to meet with someone, then this lady won't. She's weak. And those insecurities are not just about being in church. They're about all sorts of situations. And COVID has just ramped it up tenfold. And yet she still keeps coming. And she still wants to be useful to the Lord. And I don't think she has any idea how much of an encouragement she is to me. I don't think she knows the half of it. That she's there at all is a gospel win. And she's a delight to know and, and to be with. Verse 14, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong. Verse 16, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong. You can see what others have to offer the church, but you can't see why you're needed. And in some sense, you feel unnecessary. So we envy others. But we need to learn to trust God, that God will use, as he says, even in these verses, the weaker parts of the body to bring him glory. Do you trust God that he knows what he's doing? So if the, the one danger we oscillate to is I don't belong, the other one is I don't need you. 
and we switch between the two modes depending on how we feel about ourselves. <clears throat> we need to know that we belong together and that God has made you and me to play an important part. And to help us understand, Paul is using this analogy of the body and of life together. See it then from verse 12, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. And verse 14, so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And uh, I think Matt's preaching on Romans 12 tomorrow evening. Uh, sorry, this evening. Sorry, you might wish it were tomorrow evening, but it is this <laughs> evening, Matt. Verses 4 and 5, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We really do need each other. So when we focus on our strengths, we create competition. When we allow for our weaknesses, I think we create community. And that's what we need uh, in the life of the church. So what is Paul saying uh, in response to us? Well, when we say I don't belong, point B, we need to accept the way that God has made us. Verse 17, if we were all the same, all an eye, all an ear, we'd be useless. God knows what he's doing, verse 18. God has arranged the parts, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And the reason Paul's analogy works so well is that we get that a body to function requires every part to play its part, but they're not interchangeable. It depends on diversity. We have a lot of doctors in our church because we started City Church with myself and a guy who's a surgeon. And so doctors have kind of found their way to us. And uh, my uh, co-pastor, Hugh, is always really helpful to many of them in trying to work through medical ethical issues, career paths, and everything else because of his 30 years or more in, the, in medicine as a surgeon. Uh, so we had lots of uh, doctors. And I got a pretty good sense that they know how a body works. I have about no clue whatsoever how a body works. I just know that it does when every part of my body is playing its part. And that's enough for me. It, it's far too complicated in a church of this size to know how it's all going to work, but we trust that the Lord has brought just the right people with just the right gifts that if we all play our part, it will work. And you don't necessarily have to quite know how, although if you can and you do, all the better. You just need to know that God knows what he's doing in building the body, and God knows that you have a part to play. So sometimes we get an in instinct as to how a body works when we encourage one another and say thank you to one another for the part that we play. It might just be a small thing to say thank you to someone who's been teaching your child this week. It might be that there's a lot of people who are just quietly working behind the scenes in the life of the church who often don't get a lot of thanks, but you know who they are, and you could just find a time and a space to drop them a text, write them a note, say a personal thank you. There's someone in the church here who was at our church uh, in Birmingham before coming to London, and uh, we've agreed over coffee. We're just going to take a photo of us together, and we're going to send it to a number of people who he said were really helpful to him during his student years in Birmingham, 
And I only say, do you remember this guy? Well, he just wants to say thank you. And we're just going to ping that WhatsApp off to a bunch of folk at City Church, four or five people he thinks, yeah, that would be great to say a thank you to them. Maybe there's someone in your mind right now who's played a significant part in your life here at the church. And you think, I don't know that I've ever actually said thank you to you for playing your part in the body. And it might just be that you could find a way to do that now or in the future. The church is made up of many parts. We don't all get it, the whole picture. We're all very different, but God is building the body that he wants. So don't expect uniformity. That's not the way that God has made us to be. And therefore, there's no place for feeling inferior on account of your difference. There's no reason for you to think so much, someone is so much more necessary here than you. We need to appreciate and value and give thanks to the Lord for difference. But Paul goes further than saying that we're different. It seems that Paul wants to say that God gives special honor to parts of the body that might seem overlooked and weak. Our key verse, verse 22 maybe then for this morning, given our theme of this weekend, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Isn't that a great word? Even, even the appendix. Indispensable. Do you see that Paul is recognizing that there are these weak organs in the body, whether it's those bits of the body that need protecting, like lungs or liver or heart, I don't know, fragile but indispensable. Not quite sure what Paul has in mind. But isn't that an encouraging verse? The weaker parts of the body are indispensable. And I don't know who is indispensable in your life and who has done most to help you. The person that has done more to shape and form me as a Christian, more than anybody else, is a woman called Fiona. Fiona, when she was a small girl, realized that she couldn't run like the other kids in the playground. And then they sort of noticed that she, her coordination was a little off and uh, she couldn't catch a ball and her handwriting started to deteriorate slightly and they investigated. And they discovered that Fiona had a disease like Stephen Hawking's disease. And that basically her body was little by little over a number of years gonna start to fail her and she would waste away physically. By the time she started to attend our church, she was already in a wheelchair that was more like a bed than it was a chair because she couldn't begin to sit upright. In fact, she had very little control over her body apart from really the movement of her head. Her eyesight had deteriorated, her hearing was going. She could speak, but she could only speak slowly because she found it difficult to breathe. Eating was a, was, a, was, a, was a hard thing because of chewing and swallowing food. And yet we interviewed her one Sunday at church. And it was the most memorable moment, I think, in our 20 years as a church, as slowly she would answer the questions that she'd prepared with someone in advance to share. And uh, the conclusion of that testimony was really when she said, I would rather be in this wheelchair and know Jesus than be able-bodied and not know him. 
And I thought to myself, you, you, you are a pitiable sight. Who would ever want to change places and endure what you have endured or live the life that you're living? Suffering every day in the way that you're suffering. I would rather, I wouldn't change my place with someone who didn't know Jesus. I would rather be in this chair and know Jesus than be able-bodied and not. And when she was asked what she was looking forward to about going to heaven, she said, I'm looking forward to being able to run again. And within a year, she died of pneumonia in her early 30s. But her story was utterly extraordinary. And no one, I've met no one who's appeared weaker to the eyes of the world than Fiona, and has yet had the most magnificent impact on the church. Pablo Martinez writes, God can use us in very different ways from those that we might have expected or imagined. Who could imagine that God was going to use her in that way? Even in surprising way, God wants to give meaning to every life, however limited or useless it may appear to human eyes. Because God works through weakness, even someone struggling for breath can be a teacher in the church and the household of God. That's what it's like. There are those who cannot see that Christ is powerfully at work in someone who's battling same-sex attraction, depression, loneliness. But when they can't see God at work, they fail to learn and fail to give glory to God. So let's be those who are willing to talk about our weaknesses and let's be willing to those who are ready to learn lessons from those who are going through periods of difficulty or weakness. Let's give special honor to the weaker members of the body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer died, was martyred by the Nazis in 1945 and he wrote that great book, Life Together. And this is what he says. He says, the exclusion of the weak and insignificant the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. Let me just say that again. The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. So if when you come to church, all you want to do is be with others who are impressive or connected or Bible teachers, well, you may be missing out on meeting with Christ. You may want to seek him amongst the weaker members of the church. For he was not impressive in the eyes of the world. When Philip found Nathaniel, John 1.45, he told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and also whom the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel simply said, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth come and see said Philip it's so easy to overlook the presence and the power of God in the church especially when it's found in weak people so can I leave you with this thought maybe wise Christians should do more to seek out the company of the weak we have an 86 year old man in our church called Roger and I choose to talk with him most Sundays because he's lived the Christian life a long time. He's been a Christian 70 years. And he's seen a lot and gone through a lot. 
and he's my teacher. The wise Christian seeks out the company of the weak because he or she seeks to learn from them, to be blessed by them, to encourage them. Now, God knows what he's doing in building his church, in bringing us together, whoever we are, whatever gifts we've got, whatever our situation in life, and he delights to build a body. Let's pray, shall we? But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Father, thank you for our place in your church. Thank you for making us just the way you wanted us to be. In our times of strength and our times of weakness, may we be a blessing to the church and may we seek to love and honor and support one another. In Jesus' name, amen.